Welcome back to the Noggin Notes podcast. I'm your host, Jake Wiskirchen. This is episode number 46. And before we get started, you may have already noticed in the title that this is going to deal with some sensitive subjects. I like to issue a bit of a, an advance warning even beyond that. Uh, some might call it a trigger warning, and uh, that's perfectly fair. Uh, people may be triggered by, by the topic of sex trafficking, sexual abuse, and so forth. And I want the listening audience to understand that you have permission not to listen to this if you don't want to. The warning that I'm I'm giving is is very serious. It's not uh, some, you know, super hyper liberal snowflake, uh, you know, condescending thing where we have to protect people's ears. But people who have been through trauma and people who have experienced traumatic events absolutely can be triggered by the same topic that may have been the cause of the trauma or the or have been the traumatic experience itself so I want to be sensitive to that and I want to be sensitive to our audience that John and I in this interview are going to be talking about uh, some very heavy subjects very matter-of-factly and if you've listened to any of the conversation that I've given over the last many podcasts uh, specifically the ones related to emotion the idea is if you can move from your limbic brain into your cognitive space, meaning your frontal lobe, while discussing these topics, you can suppress a lot of the emotion that comes along with it. That does not necessarily mean, however, that you're not going to be affected by it. So that being the case, if you find yourself getting uncomfortable, please just press stop and uh, you know and, and, and take a breather or, or just, just don't listen altogether. So some people are very sensitive to this, and it's because it may be fresh in their lives. They haven't processed it. They haven't gotten the proper treatment. They haven't worked through it. John has. He's uh, gone through enough stuff where he's able to talk about it very frankly, and he's become a voice and an advocate for those who are being trafficked and abused across the globe, really. And it's a very noble effort, but it's also very uh, vulnerable, very transparent, very revealing uh, conversation about him and uh, the work that he's done and uh, what's what's happened to him uh, over his years. We don't get into details, so it's not going to be gory or graphic, but I do, I, I do think I owe it to the audience to let you know up front that we are going to be speaking very pragmatically about some very, very serious topics and subjects. And so uh, just know that going in. And with that, I will curtail this introduction and thank my company, Zephyr Wellness, for sponsoring the show and allowing me to continue to do this kind of thing. Uh, because I think it's good to get this type of information out into the public uh, sphere and to get it into people's hands. So John's uh, John's fascinating. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him on uh, Instagram. He's got a great Instagram account. He's uh, he's very direct, and uh, I, I just hope that somebody takes something from this, perhaps motivation, perhaps inspiration. As always, we invite you to uh, you know give us a rating and a review on iTunes or or Google Play and uh, help drive listenership because. This information doesn't do any good locked inside my head. We want it passed around. So without further delay, this is episode number 46. It's uh, an exploration of sex abuse, sex trafficking with uh, Dr. John A. King. Enjoy. Hey, we're on the Noggin Notes podcast, and I'm talking to Dr. John A. King. Hello. Hey, Mike. How you doing? You, I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, for the listening audience, uh, it's it's always fun for me, I guess, uh, to do the awkward introduction. You're like, yeah, so this is our guest, um, and I don't really know where to start with introducing you because uh, we connected through uh, your very generous offer to come on the podcast, and 
uh, talk about what what it is that you do. And I'm, I'm teasing this purposely because there's so much that you do and there's so much to your story. I don't want to spoil it. But I guess we'll start off with your accent. It's Australian, but you yes, don't live is. in Australia anymore. No, I don't live in live in the good old state of Texas, y'all. <laughs> y'all mates down in Texas. Y'all, y'all mates. <laughs> That's awesome. So you're you're domestic uh, to me. Uh, you know this podcast goes internationally, and um, but you're you're from Australia and you're in Texas. Uh, I'm just going to start off by asking you who you are and how you got to the United States, but then you can uh, share your backstory because inevitably we've we've already teased this through the the headline on the podcast, but this is your chance to talk about what it is that you do. Oh man, I'm so loaded question. I know. Yeah, I know. I asked who you are and what you do in the same question. (laughs) So 10 years ago, I was a very successful um, entrepreneur and had a small, very boutique corporate training and coaching company and had written nine books and I uh, did a lot of work in churches and church circuits, both corporate and, and, and sacred circles. And, and that's your that doctorate. A, your doctorate is in ministry or divinity? Yeah, in, in theology, doctorate in theology. Theology, okay. And uh, so I traveled the world you know, six to nine months of the year. And in 2008, I had total recall of being um, sexually abused by my mother and father and their friends, what we would, you know, some would call trafficking now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that led to the onset of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So when you ask me what I did, you know, I'm just, I'm still in the process of finding all that out, mate, because it, it led to a total disruption of my life. Uh, everything that I could once do, I no longer either, I either couldn't do it or I didn't have a desire to do it anymore. Right. Uh, John 1.0 got buried in the backyard by the daffodils and John 2.0, um, I found later had emerged and um, as I started to put my life together, I went from traveling the world to now having a chronic stutter, a fear of crowds and all that sort of stuff. And, and wanting to very, very, um, you know, right brain, left brain linear. I think that's what it is. And goal setting and orientation to, to now right brain creative, wanting to, you know, sit under a tree and smoke a cigar and write poetry. Mm-hmm. So he, here we are, you know, 10 years later. And um, I am a poet. I'm an author. Uh, been in a documentary on human trafficking last year that that won 18 awards. Or another, I'm in another documentary coming out this year in post-traumatic stress disorder. Wow! And that's where we we spend most of our time focused now. Uh, just released a book called Deal with It: Living Well with PTSD, which is going very well and helping lots of folks. And um, so that's really the focus going forward. You know, always on, always forward. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for catching up on my uh, purposeful interruption there. Uh, you're going to make a good radio guest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just for the listening audience, some people who may not understand what post-traumatic stress disorder is, that's the, the acronym PTSD. Um, the book definition for a clinician is you got some symptoms that typically include uh, memories of the traumatic event, uh, reliving it as though it were happening again, what we call those flashbacks. Uh, you can have nightmares. Uh, there's hypervigilance where you're always attentive to things around you and you know, feeling on edge. And, and then you, you might try to avoid it by trying to avoid the traumatic event or thinking about it. And then, um, you know, sometimes you can slip into things like depression or anxiety uh, based on that. And typically what people experience a, a traumatic event, it has to do with death or a large threat of of 
uh, violence to yourself or someone close to you. And just a sidebar to this, typically we've associated it with uh, violence, uh, you know, in in the home or in a workplace or in the community or combat. You know, wartime can certainly can certainly do that. But recently, in the last uh, twenty years or so, what we've discovered is that there's this vicarious PTSD, where you don't have to be the recipient of the the activity to receive post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. And so we learned this through 9-11 that in reliving those images all across the country over and over and over again on the TV screen, many people across the United States who were not in Manhattan or Pennsylvania or Washington, D.C. ended up experiencing some level of post-traumatic stress disorder. And what you're discussing here is your, your personal experience with it from childhood trauma. And that trauma is just being violated. And, and so you, what it sounds like is you 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 lock this away for quite some time, and then suddenly you, you refer to this total recall event where it all just came flooding back, and it, it basically had a, a crippling effect. And, uh, and now you're you're on this journey to recovery, which uh, I'll let you pick up from there and, and tell us about. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it, mate. That's good. You've got that all worked out. So that's <laughs> it. So if you can just if you can just encapsulate how to get over that rubbish, yeah, uh, so succinctly that'd be awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it starts with uh, uh, watching a documentary and reading your book and uh, maybe buying a T-shirt that says uh, hashtag deal with it. A, a coffee cup, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, it, but it is. That's exactly what happened, mate. It, it, it was like that. Um, you know, I think what's amazing with it, and it's a thought that I'm often struck with, is that what you end up living with is not what you did, but what was done to you. Mm-hmm. And that can be, I, I think, a lot of people who go through um, a very traumatic time like um, prolonged abuse. Um, it's like th- there's that inner rage of not knowing what to do with it because it's just not fair. Right. And you can't even have a conversation with someone about it. Right. And I- I'm not sure if I ever got into the just not fair thing. I didn't allow myself to question why me too much um, because it it seemed to be counterproductive. You know, I got to a stage where... I realized I was allowing myself to slip into that. So I would give myself the length of a cup of coffee. I would sit down, I would have a cup of coffee, and that would be a very purposeful pity party. And I was allowed to feel as sorry for myself as I wanted to for roughly 25, 30 minutes. And then it was done. I I had to move on. And now I had to discipline myself around that because if not, you end up getting sucked down into this molasses of, Mm -hmm. of melancholy. And there is no way, once you've got that victim mentality going, you know, the principle of seven plus or minus two, once you've got that thing, you are only focusing on the negative. You have no possible way of seeing a possible possible way through. I think you, you touched on something really important there, and I want you to explain the seven uh, plus or minus two in a minute. But the idea that you sat down intentionally with the purpose of feeling what you're supposed to feel, which is shame or guilt or distress or what what have you, uh, you purposely did that. It was your own meditation. We don't we don't mindlessly meditate, and we don't mindlessly channel negative uh, feelings or emotions that are unpleasant. You did that with the purpose of uh, exposing yourself to it with a little bit of tolerance, and then uh, with the purposeful meaning of turning it off and regaining control of your life. So it's almost like you're receiving it in doses so it didn't kill you, and you eventually build up a tolerance, if I may use a, a an analogy there. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's what it sounded like to my ears. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it. I think 
I think we do do a lot of that involuntary negativity. We will do allow ourselves to wallow around in it. And even by being mindful of it, it's not that I stopped it the rest of the 24, 23 hours because it was still, you know, running around inside mm-hmm. your head. Sure. But I made a point of going, okay, if you're going to feel sorry about your marriage collapsing, you're going to feel sorry about being estranged from your kids, then you can't do anything about that. So just go ahead and just thoroughly jump in and soak yourself in it. And even the process of it, all, all that really was, was the mental activity of acknowledging those emotions. And the moment that you acknowledge them and the moment that you then say, hear yourself say you can't do anything about it, you realize it's a total waste of time. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, am I really going to waste 45 minutes on a good cup of coffee or am I just going to get on with the day? Yeah, or three hours or an entire yeah. afternoon or however long. And, and often you've wasted three hours an entire afternoon and then you've said, well, no, I'm just going to go and sit down and have a cup of coffee about it. But, you know, you you've, in retrospect – you, you realize you've wasted days or weeks or months. Sure. But when I got into this practice of doing it, what would happen is it would move from being whole weeks to whole days to half a day to first thing in the morning because I'd wake up aware this was what I was battling. And I think it's that mindfulness, being aware of what was going on and generating and, and tuning in to, to you know the, the rhythm of those emotions that I think is very, very important, that level of self-awareness. That's um, really yeah. powerful. And I think maybe it comes across, it could come across to some people as a little insulting, you know, like you're invalidating what I'm saying, I'm wasting my life. And it's not to, to judge others and their, their process. I think it's just simply to to mindfully pay attention and say, you know, this this time could be spent productively instead of, uh, wait, you know, spending it, thinking about things that you can't change because they're in the past. Yeah, and you would say that. I would say, you're just wasting your bloody life. Get on right. with it. Right, Because <laughs> I just would. And people, I, I find there's two groups of people. They'll either go, they'll either will, as you say, get really out of sorts because they, they in some way want, they want some validity given to their victimhood. And I refuse to do that because, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's not that I'm, going to be harsher on someone else than I was on myself because there is no one in the world that I'm harder on than me. It's just that I know that when it came down to it, if I in any way validated being a victim, that thing would, would I would drown in that for months. Mm-hmm. And I think when someone is in a, when, when they come to that place of, of, okay, I'm going to start dealing with an addiction or I'm going to start dealing with a weight issue or I'm going to start dealing with a, a, a histrionic issue that's that line in the sand and you just, it has to get done. Um, I equate it very much to bodybuilding. It's, well, you know, I've done a lot of sports, rugby, boxing, martial arts. Bodybuilding is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because it's every mouthful, every meal, every day. Mm. And and you you are committed to, to pulling your body into a certain shape for a certain event. Now, you sometimes fail. You sometimes have cheat days. You sometimes um, you know, don't get it right or you don't exercise right. But overall, the commitment is being there. And if someone is committed to moving beyond being a victim of their circumstance, then it then it will take everything within them just to get up and breathe and present to the rest of the world. You, you have to play hurt to present to the rest of the world that mm. I'm going to get through this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's important, mate, I think. 
I think there's a difference too between being a victim, which many of us have encountered, and then playing the victim, which is a constant uh, reliving of that and then broadcasting it as one's own identity. Yeah, it is. It's that narrative. I call it the victim narrative. They're constant. You know, um, someone stole my car park. The, the lady at the checkout was rude to me. Um, everything. It doesn't matter how good their life is. It's always bad. Yeah, and yeah. You, you, you don't have to have a trauma experience to be like that. You just have to be like Eeyore. Your everything is. <laughs> Everything's going to have a cloud over your life. Yeah. And, um, and I lived like that for years, to be honest, looking back. And I was always melancholy and always depressed, and I never knew why. Well, it's very and, disempowering, um, too. It, it almost removes the idea that you have a choice over your attitude. Yeah. And over your life. It's like they did this to me as a kid, and now I have to live with it for the rest of my life. It's like that for, that for me is, is horrible. So these people did this to me for 12 years. Then I walked under this cloud for probably 30 years. A marriage ended up being destroyed, estrangement from my kids. It's impacted my physical health. It's like, I don't want to give them another day. Right, yeah, it's, that's, it's that's like, enough power. That's enough power yeah, handed enough. over. Yeah, it's enough. I don't want to think about you. I don't want to contemplate it. I don't want to, even, I don't want to go over how hard it is or how hurt I am. I just want to go on. I just want to go on. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about some of these efforts that you're endeavoring uh, to to lead people. And if you click over to Dr. So it's uh, it's it's Dr. John A. King, Dr. John J. O. H. N. A. King dot com. And under the press tab, you have some really impressive credentials. You've been on some some shows. You've written a lot of articles. You've uh, and then that's not even to mention the the poetry that you've written. But uh, let's talk about some of the stuff that you're doing uh, to get to get the voice out there. One of them is this uh, uh, Give Them a Voice Foundation. And uh, mm-hmm. I want to hear I want I definitely want to hear about that. But I also want to hear some of, about some of the one off stuff that you've done. So when, when I when I realized what had happened to me, I thought, you know what, there's got to be other other particularly other men out there who don't have a voice. So I was like, OK. I want to try and give a voice to them. So I started writing poetry. And that went from me publishing it anonymously to what is now probably a reach every week of about 4 million people. That's impressive. And, and it's just, but it was, I was anonymous for up until 12 months ago. Hmm. No one, no one knew it was me um, because I had young kids at the time and I didn't want them to. So I, I hear you. Father was only raped as a child. How's that? Right, right, right. You know, I just didn't want. Yeah. I didn't want my children uh, having to be, deal, deal with that, because there is there's there's a stigma attached to sexual abuse, very much so to men. Um. So so I started to, that was where the give them a voice, and out of the give them a voice came the opportunity to be in this documentary, and out of that documentary came the opportunity to speak to you know the newspapers, to be on the television shows, um, and, and to really have a chance to be a voice in those arenas. Um, and with the PTSD stuff, for, for me, it was a decision of mental health, uh, traveling the nation, um, talking about the trafficking uh, movie and having to watch myself on the screen there. Um, I was reliving these events. I was re-traumatizing events. It mm, probably took mm-hmm. me four or five months to get over um, last year's tour. Uh, and, and when I was talking with my wife, Melissa, it was just that I don't want to spend the rest of my life because you see that stuff, my past is, my past will either define me or refine me. And I refuse to be defined by it. I'll allow it to, I'll embrace it, 
and allow it to refine me, but I have to be moving on for a purpose. And that's why we started to think about, well, what, what, what positive could come out of this? And it was like, well, you know, I, people look at me and they don't, they don't see a crazy guy. They, I, I fear, feel smeared and stained by what, I, in one of my poems, I call it, you know, excrement on a holy altar. Hmm. Uh, and um, it's, I, I feel like that every day. But when people look at me, that's not what they see. They yeah. see a guy who looks reasonably together, you know, got his stuff together, successful in life. And I, I want to talk to people about how to get beyond whatever it is that they're facing and understand that life is not over because someone was nasty to you. Um, there's a whole world and experience out there that you get to have and breathe it with fresh lungs and see it with fresh eyes. And when you get to, uh, you embrace your faith uh, in, in God as a creation, as a child of God, and and you and I have spoken about this uh, before, how we're not, we're not created to live in misery. Um, so to have, to be defined by events in one's life, uh, not only limits that ability to fulfill one's own potential as God designed him to be, and, but it also, it does a disservice to other people by saying, you know what, I'm limited and therefore you should also be as well. And so I really appreciate that you're comparing and you're being, you're being vulnerable. And I know you've been vulnerable for many years now, but you're being vulnerable enough to say, you know, what, I, I feel, I feel broken. And yet people don't see that brokenness, which is a strange paradox when we talk about, especially in America where males are perceived to have privilege and all sorts of things, uh, I guess overall and, you know, in the world, but uh, males have privilege and therefore they must be impenetrable and uh, unassailable. And therefore you can't possibly be broken on the inside or damaged or smeared to, to use your, your word. And so I think that's interesting that you, you use that comparison because that's the voice that's been taken away, right? It's like, well, you're, you're strong. You, you're a bodybuilder. You've played lots of sports. You look like a big burly, you know, alpha male, and you certainly are. And yet simultaneously we can have the, the dialectic of being wounded. And yet that is not limiting. That's actually empowering. And I like that the used refine. Yeah. It's, it's that warrior poet. It's the Spartans marching off to war, singing songs and mm. quoting poetry. It's the, it's the David, you know, sword in one hand, you know, uh, harp in the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Bible's full of those analogies and so, so is history. And I think, um, you know, you look at men, they're, they're the, some, type, they're the greatest, some, some of the greatest writers and the greatest chefs and the greatest artists. And it's not uncommon uh, for that. Um, and and I, think, I think just by allowing yourself to touch that and be touched by that, then, then you, you, are, you actually become whole. This, I, I often talk about John 1.0, now John 2.0. And the funny thing is I use that because people love labels and that makes it easier for them. I actually think it's the other way around. I was John 2.0 and now I'm back to John the original. I, I feel that everything that I did to protect myself, to guard against myself, to shell up, to survive, um, broke. And the real me, this rebirth experience by having to face um, who I'd become in order to overcome and protect myself, it was, it's like a peeling away. Mm. Um, and that, that, that vulnerability that comes out of that courage to face that and own it, um, is, it's, it's like a, I feel more centered and rooted and, and founded now than I ever have in my life. That's yeah. such, that's so powerful. Sorry, go on. 
yeah, but you bet people would look at, you know, losing millions of dollars, a family, marriages, that I should be devastated. Now, I am in one side. I am devastated because of the loss and the pain that was inflicted on others. But on the other, I don't think I've ever been freer. Um, in, in, you know, if I'm just, you know, sitting in my study talking to you, I never felt freer. I get out there and the rest of it, and I'm faced with condemnation, guilt, and a whole range of mm-hmm. other things when you interact with people. But now in this space, it's like I like me. And this is the first time in 55 years I've been able to like me. That's, and that's so a, great. It's a big deal, man. It's that's really so great. And I hope deal. that if, there, if there's people who are listening who have been uh, victimized at the hands of abusers who maybe you know abuse their power uh manipulated coerced uh you know sexual assault in your case and some others whether it be physical uh spiritual financial freedom restrictions uh, i hope that they're hearing this and taking to heart that that recovery is not only possible but likely and we encourage people to you know, maybe examine those experiences and realize that they're not, first of all, they're not only defining, you know, not defining as to one's character or being, but they're also, they can be used as a springboard to leap into a better sense of self and fullness and righteousness and, and, um, and well being such that you can find peace. Because I think a lot of people are imprisoned by their, their circumstances, by what's happened to them, their stories, their addictions, their patterns of behavior that they don't like, and that freedom is possible. It really is possible. It is, mate. It really is. I don't. I remember a real turning point for me came when I woke up one day and I, and I had a feeling I'd never had before, and it scared me senseless. And it was like a still small voice told me that it was peace beyond understanding, because I was in the midst of this collapse. And hmm. and the moment it started to leave me, I started to panicking because I, that I realized that's really what I'd searched for all my life. And I'd spent probably three years at this point praying every day for a miracle. You know, heal me, touch me. You know, your Bible says you will. You know, people say, I need that. I want that. And, and, and like I'm talking to you now, I felt on the inside of me, he told me, he said, I'm your heavenly father, not your fairy godmother. If you will get up every day and ask me, I will give you a tool for your toolbox. And over time, I will give you what you need to manage and rebuild your life. And that's what I feel has happened. That's um, so great. And it's like one tool a day. I didn't have to have everything together. I just needed to find that one tool. That one tool might be too much sugar. Don't have this food coloring. Make sure you exercise. Do Have this supplement. Are you getting enough sleep? You know, do you, do you watch, look at your phone before you go to bed because that stops your, your, your sleep pack. And it's yeah. these tiny little things that that all add up and, you know, that they've made a difference over the last 10 years. Wow, that's wonderful. Uh, you, when you and I were chatting the other day, if I could make a, a sharp left-hand turn off of this, um, we were talking about the, the number and volume of people who are trafficked around the world and you had yeah. floated out that up to 50% of human trafficking and sex abuse victims are male. Did I hear that yeah. right? Yeah, in some countries it's bigger than that. We're very, you know, we're very myopic in America, um, you know, and, and I love America. America has been exceptionally good. But, man, if it doesn't all happen here, then these are the stats that are taken to the rest of the world. But you go to um, Zimbabwe, 75% of men there are, are sexually abused. 
Wow. If you go to Afghanistan or Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, it's 90 to 95%. Um, wow. India, uh, the, the lady in charge of, of basically women and girls' rights has come out, the minister has come out and said, listen, we need to stop this. We're forgetting about boys, and boys are 55% of all sexual rape victims and abuse victims are male in India, and yet we have no resources for them. We have, we have the same situation here in America. The one in six statistic makes for a great URL, but it's an inaccurate figure. Um, it, it, you don't, we, there's no way we are that far behind it where every other nation in the world is seeing that there's farm. It's like, it's like victims of, um, of domestic violence, 45% mm -hmm. are male. America is the only nation in the world that won't acknowledge that figure. So it's got to be either an underreporting or a, a cultural uh -huh. oppression uh -huh. or suppression, but but somehow we're not getting accurate data, whether it's through self-report or purposeful yeah. obfuscation to maintain a narrative, which sounds too conspiratorial. But somehow it doesn't make sense that this country, of all the other countries, is somehow privileged or different than than the rest of the world. Yeah, that, and that's exactly right. So I was reading one report, I think it was a 2010-2011, they were asking oh, Detroit or Chicago or somewhere up there, they're, they're a child exploitation group, and um, they just asked them straight out, well, how come you've got no resources allocated for young boys? Um, you acknowledge that it happens, how come? She goes, well, um, you know, boys, they're male, and men just get over this stuff easier. Wow. That was that was the law enforcement, that was it. And that cultural bias is part of the system. It's um, mm -hmm. the, the, and you know, so you couple that half a, uh, of the victims are male, and then on the other hand, about forty to forty-five percent of the perpetrators are female. So if you're looking for a white middle-aged guy trafficking an African American girl, you're going to miss out on the Hispanic woman trafficking the white boy. You're missing out on half the perpetrators and half the victims. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, unless we address a cultural bias for whatever reason, um, and we can see this in the Me Too movement, the Me Too movement is not an inclusive movement. It's it's a privileged movement about people who some were unfortunately raped and some just slept their way to the top. So if they don't want to acknowledge that, that's fine, but mm -hmm. it's ludicrous to think the rest of us are silly. Yet in the whole conversation they're having, they're missing out on, a, you know, what happened to Kevin Spacey? What about right. the um, accusations against... Some of the, you know, and I won't mention them now. There's some major Hollywood names, and this is they're known facts for years that they're male perpetrators of sexual violence against other boys, and no one wants to have those conversations. It's so we're not we we again. I say this in the front of my book. Unfortunately, we've become very comfortable with the conversation around the sexual abuse of women and girls. We are not comfortable having a conversation about the sexual abuse of boys and men. Well, um, yeah. you know, I, I think as a clinician, you know, psychologically, I could speak a little bit to the the whys because, you know, listeners may be going, well, why, why? And I think that just like the conversation about women started many years ago and the resistance was, well, I don't want to acknowledge that might be going on with my friends or my relatives or my children. Similarly, yeah. I think I think I mean, I can just sit here listening to you and acknowledge it that I don't want to acknowledge that that might be a part of my past. And it's not, uh, but I also don't know that I've been <laughs> repressing anything like you have, and I don't want a total recall event when I'm older. But I, I can tell you firsthand that I experienced a ton of bullying from third grade through 11th grade or even 12th grade 
that I never acknowledged until many, many, many years down the road. And I look back, I went, oh, yeah, I was mocked by a lot of people and it did affect me. Because I, I think it has to do with acknowledging one's own weakness. And we've, in this country mm-hmm. and in Western civilization in, in general, that we've we've labeled weak as bad. And if I'm weak, therefore, I must be a bad person. And I don't want to be a bad person, so I just won't be weak. Uh, but then I don't acknowledge what happened. It builds up. I don't seek help. I don't get whole. I don't heal. And then I become a detriment to myself and others, maybe in some cases likely to do the same things that were done to me. Or in other cases, at you know, very best scenario, I, I white knuckle it through and I'm not authentic and I can't be present yeah. with, with other relationships. So, yeah. me, you know, that might be might explain the why as to why we haven't evolved yet to the point where it's comfortable to discuss uh, sexual violence and trafficking with with boys and men. Yeah. And, I, you know, look, more the ladies did a great job and they had to. We had to bring about a sense of balance. And I think it's time now for guys to step up to the plate and um, and um, be willing to enter the conversations. Now, there is resistance. And when I've encountered resistance from the Me Too movement, etc., I've made a very clear point that I'm not trying to overtake your organization. All I want is the right to sit at the same table. Right. Um, and I think that's I, – I, it's funny. You've got to assure people for that. For some reason, they, you know, they're concerned about that. And, you know, that gets into that previous conversation we had about the parent privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that's all it is. It, it, this is not a gender rights issue. This is a human rights issue. No one should have to go through what I did as a child. And now, now later as a victim, you know, their term's not mine. They say victims should be believed. Look, last week, this ha- something happened to me. I, I, a friend of mine walked in on a business meeting. There's two guys there sitting mocking my story about being sexually abused. Um, mm. Oh, yeah, you know, here, man, he was having sex with 13. Doesn't that sound fantastic? Blah, 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 blah. Mm. And this guy, this guy couldn't believe it. Um, so at, at some point, we, we need to start to embrace those things that make us uncomfortable, uh, to your point, and say, okay, well, what did happen and why am I like this? Yeah. Um, why, why do I find this difficult to engage in? So... Help uh, as we as we start to wrap this up because we try to keep it you know uh, you know not too long winded for the listening audience but to wrap this up uh, a little bit let's lead out with how because people want to know how how do people speak up for themselves and not believe they should just uh, internalize it or keep it quiet or that's not for public consumption or any of those other false beliefs that help perpetrate this narrative that oh it just doesn't happen to boys how do we help people speak up. Um. Yeah, see, that's funny. Women women talk face-to-face, men talk shoulder-to-shoulder. Huh. Guys, you've got to be engaged with a guy doing something before he'll actually have a chat to you. Yeah. And you'll get a very small window of options. It'll be like you're sitting on the couch watching the game, and you'll be sitting there, a mouthful of crisps and a beer, and you'll go, yeah, yeah, my uncle did something to me when I was a kid. And that's it. That's right. the only window of opportunity that you'll get as another man. And they're more likely to say it to another man as opposed to a woman. And when another man doesn't have that experience, he goes, oh, bugger, how do I respond to that? Right. And um, the easiest way in that situation is just to go, oh, man, that's no good. Do you want to tell me about that? And then you're in for probably an hour or two conversation. I had it happen to me at lunch before this call. I just spent an hour and a half with a guy, and um, he said, I'll watch one of your videos. Go, oh, yeah, sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. That was it. And an hour and a half later, we, you know, hugs, tears and beers and went on our way. And he's a hardcore 
20 years, Marine, recon, hard as nails, boots and nails guys. And I've got another conversation with another guy next weekend, same. 30 years in the service, Marine recon, man. And um, a lot of these deltas, a lot of these tier one guys have got this stuff in their background. Well, that uh, that makes sense because when we don't know what to do with horrible circumstances, we tend to, like you, you led off by saying, you know, you go strictly left-brained. You go, you know, formulaic, driven, goal-oriented, because neurologically that that keeps down the emotional functioning. Because if you if you start to let those emotional gates flutter open, it's it's not long before they blast open. And then in a society where men specifically, but people in general, are told don't emote because emotion equals weakness, and weakness is bad, yep. and then you are bad. What they do is they go, all right, I'm just going to turn it off. And what do you substitute that with? Well, something that looks like a proxy for that control, which is kick ass, take names, you know, high yep. achieve, uh, ignore, you know, relationships, just, you know, go blazing guns, you know, sometimes figuratively and sometimes yep. actually if you're joining the, the military and going special forces. So it helps to, to keep that stuff repressed so you don't have to tolerate it and you don't have to be out of control. Um, that's, that's not, uh, that's not surprising to me. It may be surprising to the audience, uh, I think because we, we just, I think, to the to the non psychological speakers, we we assume that somebody who's been victimized and had their power taken away, you just kind of curl up into a, a ball and and tuck away from society, which which can happen, but more often we ended up seeing it in you know the hard charging dudes, or or maybe it's somebody who you know God forbid they they just become you know sociopathic or or uh, narcissistic, and then they don't let anybody in, and that's a yes. similar presentation but different. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know what? Yeah. Thanks. Uh, it, the, I want to keep talking. Uh, I know you're doing a lot and, um, you got a lot on your plate. Give the audience some ways to find you. I already gave out the website, which is drjohnaking.com, drjohnaking.com. But you got Instagram and you got Twitter and you got Facebook. And I, I don't know all the stuff that you're on. You got 4 million people reach. What are some of the ways to? To contact Insta- Instagram's a good one. Okay. Um, it's a it's you know it's a it's a place for great interaction. And that's at, um, at Dr. John A. King. At Dr. John A. King. That's a that's a good one. People are on there. I'm on all those links are on the website. If people want to connect with me, there's links at the bottom of social media and and you know I did my best to answer every. Well, I actually do. It just takes me a while. Every email and and every direct message I get. So good on you, man. That's that's tough. So, that's tough to do. And uh, one last thing. So you mentioned books. You mentioned documentary. Mm-hmm. What is what is the hot thing right now that people should uh, should pick up and and find? If they want to, if they if they're dealing with some of the stuff we touched on, or, or they know someone then I would suggest the deal with the book. At the end of every chapter, Melissa writes, it's, it's the little chapter, the many chapters are called Melissa's Turn. And she talks about and reflects about what I was going through with at, at, from her point of view as a wife and how she was able to help me and what she had to come to understand. And that, that's, that's the reason for, for outside of God's good grace, that's the reason I was able to keep my feet under me and not blow my head off is mm-hmm. because I had someone who walked towards me and not ran from me. And and we talk about how we've done this together as a couple, um, and it's it's very powerful. It's made the stories are just very humbling. Um, you know the people we've we've been able to help over the last couple of months. It's uh, you know 
saving them from going through what what I had to go through, you know, yeah. keeping marriages together and stuff. It's really it's really incredible. I love that you're being proactive and you're trying to prevent people from stepping in the potholes that you did, and it's it's an awesome sacrifice that you've made. Uh, again, you know, website drjohnaking.com. Go to the shop tab. You can pick up the book. Uh, it says deal with it. Hashtag deal with it. And um, grow up there. Twenty five bucks. Well worth it. And um, there's some other stuff. I like your t-shirts, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, man. They're great. They're, they're, they're appropriately offensive. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. Yeah, it's some some of it, depending on where you work, maybe not suitable for work, but uh, great for the gym. Very good for the gym. Very good for the gym. Very Everyone motivation. will stay away from you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, brother, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I hope that somebody gets something out of this. Again, like all our podcasts and our stuff that we put out, if you want to reach us at info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org, you can send uh, your your questions and comments, and you can also, you know, Post stuff on Facebook if you like. You can follow John and contact him. He's affable and and responsive. And um, I look forward to to working with you down the road. I know we we've got some stuff you know possibly yeah. in the in the wings. And so I don't I don't want to share that here lest we end up not having it happen. Then we disappoint people. But uh, there will be stuff coming, and I'm I'm excited to to have met you. And um, you're just you you're too, just a mate. good soul, man. Cheers, bro, and let's do it. We just need to do that stuff we're talking about that we're not yes. telling the other people about that we're going to do. Let's just do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe we should tell awesome. some people so that we're uh, we're held accountable. Oh, we're committable. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's just do that stuff, man. Right on. All right, man. Have a wonderful afternoon. It's evening where you are because you're in Central Time Zone. I'm just uh, – I've got a little more work to do. But thanks for thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. And on behalf of the uh, Noggin Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness families, we wish you great mental wellness. Have a good one. Bye. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye.